Welcome to episode 18 of From the Front Porch, a collection of conversations on books, small business, and life in the South. I'm Annie Jones, owner of The Bookshelf in downtown Thomasville, Georgia, and today I'm joined by journalist and author Jody Helmer, who's back in town for a writing workshop at the store. We'll be talking about her tips for writers seeking publication and why the best writers are often readers first. Hey, Jody. Hi, Annie. Welcome back to Thomasville. Thank you for having me. We are so excited um, to host you back in the store, and we can't wait. We've had a great response for the writing workshop, so we can't wait to get some of your wisdom. Um, before we get started, I want to know, besides the writing workshop, what keeps you coming back to this neck of the woods? What keeps you uh, coming back here? For starters, it's 75 degrees and sunny out, <laughs> which is always a great reason to come yeah. to Thomasville, but I love the town. I love the people who are so friendly and I love the vibe and that y'all are so good about supporting local businesses, which means you have great local businesses. And so I spent the day shopping in town and chatting with the business owners and wandering around. And it's just, it's a happy place to be. So I'm happy to be here. Yeah. Um, we just recorded our last podcast. Um, I recorded with Katie and we talked about local shopping and why it's important and um, we are so fortunate in Thomasville and the surrounding areas to have some great local stores to support yeah um all right well let's dig right in we know that you're here for a writing workshop and I want to know when did you learn that you wanted to write or be a writer I think it's a tricky question. I have always written, Mm -hmm. so I am one of those people who wrote a ton of really bad poetry as a kid (laughs) and um, was in some advanced English classes when I was younger and wrote, um, air quotes, books um, about different things. (laughs) And so it's always been a passion of mine. I've been a daily journaler my entire life. Oh, impressive. But I didn't know that it was a career option. It Mm -hmm. never occurred to me. No one ever introduced the idea of journalism to Mm -hmm. me. And so I really fell into it. I went to school and got a psychology degree with no clue what I was going to do for Mm -hmm. a living. And I I fell into it a little bit. I'm Canadian originally, Mm -hmm. and I moved to the U.S. with my husband who had a job. He was also Canadian. And I couldn't work. I was allowed to live here because I had a visa, but I wasn't allowed to work. And so I started off volunteering for some local organizations. We lived in California at the time. Mm-hmm. And I was working with the YWCA doing a lot of their marketing writing and newsletters and grants. Mm-hmm. And then we moved up to Oregon and I was writing for some free local publications And when my work visa came, I announced to the staff who were all volunteers at this magazine that I was now legally allowed to work and would be looking for a job. Mm -hmm. And someone said to me, well, why don't you freelance? And I said, well, that's not a real thing. Like, I need a job. (laughs) And um, she was my first writing mentor and taught me the ropes of how to get paid for my work. And that was in 2002, and I've never looked back. Oh, yay. That's wonderful, because I do think... Freelancing is an option, but it you have to work to make it work. Um, I interned, I think I told you before we started recording, I graduated with my degree in journalism, and I interned um, for Coastal Living Magazine, which mm. is oddly based in Birmingham, Alabama, right. nowhere near a coast. Um, but I left them after my internship ended, but I freelanced. I did a couple oh. stories after they were done. And it is hard work. You really have to be out kind of really pursuing and pushing. You have to fight for it. I think you do have to fight to get started. And I think that's what separates 
the people who are successful at it and the people who never quite make it. Mm -hmm. Um, But one of the things that I'm really passionate about is teaching people that it is a viable career option Mm -hmm. because I think a lot of people don't realize, as I didn't, that Mm -hmm. it is a choice Mm -hmm. and it's a choice that can provide a nice income and get to work from home in your pajamas pursuing right. stories you're really interested in. So right. it's, Which it's, sounds like a dream come true. It's right? a dream come true, <laughs> absolutely. Um, so how did you specifically get started in the publishing aspect of the industry? So you had this mentor and she kind of showed you the ropes, but then how did you make it work for you? I just was so excited by the idea that it was a possibility that mm-hmm. I just threw myself into it mm-hmm. and uh, started sending ideas to editors okay. and introducing myself and slowly started building up assignments. Mm-hmm. And once I understood the process, mm-hmm. and there is a process, mm-hmm. once I understood the process, um, it got easier to figure out how to work that process mm-hmm. so that I could be publishing more and more stories. So I started out um, writing for very small publications in Portland, Oregon, okay. and doing stories on anything and everything. I didn't turn anything down. So mm-hmm. I wrote about um, new home developments mm-hmm. and children's theater mm-hmm. and um, local business owners and you know all sorts of crazy things mm-hmm. um, that were really interesting and allowed me to ask a lot of nosy questions about people's lives and businesses and see and do really fun things. Um, And then the paycheck started rolling in and I thought, I just can't believe this is a thing. (laughs) So I I just kept at it. And now most of my work is for uh, national publications um, who pay me to ask nosy questions about people's lives, which I just love. Which is fantastic. It really is. Um, So in today, so that was a few years ago. Mm -hmm. Do you think the publishing world has changed a little bit like if you're somebody who's just breaking into it now so much is online I mean now there's a ton of content which makes me think well maybe they need a ton of writers to write that content um, but how is it different now than it was a few years ago so I started freelancing in 2002 and I feel a little like my grandma when I say this but it's- I mailed a lot of queries <laughs> to editors yes. and um, there there wasn't as much done by email back then. Uh-huh. There wasn't a lot of unique online content. Mm-hmm. It was a lot of stuff that magazines had repurposed from the magazines and put it online. Yes, absolutely. And now there is a lot more content and the internet has facilitated that and it's created a couple of interesting um, options for writers. Mm-hmm. One is there's there are a lot of opportunities, and I, I don't know if opportunity is the right word, but mm-hmm. to write for free, to publish online. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are a lot of opportunities for paid online work mm-hmm. um, by reputable you know, online content providers. Right. And the other interesting thing that's happened that was not a thing 12 years ago is brands are starting to develop content. So yes. we're seeing a lot of... Um, like public supermarkets has a magazine and Acura has a magazine and John Deere tractors has a magazine. So these brands are jumping into the content space Mm -hmm. as a means of advertising, but it's a very journalistic approach to advertising. And that has created a lot of opportunities. So I see a lot of really exciting things happening. Yeah. Um, but I think the challenge for a new writer is figuring out how to navigate those things. Absolutely. It's almost, I don't know. There's just so much, and I would imagine it's hard to kind of nail down. I do think writing and being a storyteller for a brand would be really 
fascinating um, mm-hmm. because it's opening, it's a totally different kind of marketing, actually one that as a consumer I prefer. Right. Um, so I would, I would imagine that would be pretty interesting too. It is. Um, okay, so looking back over your years writing and pursuing these things, do you have a favorite story or a favorite subject matter you've been assigned or that you just came, discovered on your own? I really like writing about uh, food mm-hmm. and farming in particular. Um, and I really like writing about business. Mm-hmm. So if there is a food slash farming business, that's mm-hmm. kind of my sweet spot. Yeah. Um, but really, I became a reporter because I like to ask people questions and I like to follow my curiosity and learn new things. Yeah. And so I am just interested in a good story regardless of what the topic is. Okay. And I've had the opportunity to tell a lot of really fun stories over the years. Yeah. I thought of you last week because I read an article, actually I think it was on the front page of the New York Times, I'm not sure, um, or on the front of their website. Um, so the New York Times did a story on White Oak Pastures. Yes. And it was, and on, now remind me of his name, I can't, the lead farmer there, now I can't his remember it. Will, and I can't remember his last okay, name. Okay, but it was all about, Jenny. it was all about Will, and it was fascinating mm-hmm. and funny, and I thought, whoever got to do this story so lucky because what a character you're just given the character and all you have to do is kind of bring him to life and let him do his thing I had a different reaction to that story which was (laughs) why didn't I pitch this (laughs) I met the family um in 2012 when I was researching Farm Fresh Georgia and Jenny is Will's daughter and she took me on a great tour of the farm and really talked about all of the things that the New York Times article talked about, how he used to be a very conventional farmer and he mm-hmm. switched to organic and he had this total change of heart, which led to a complete change in his farming practices. It was the most interesting story. And I'll tell you one of the things that stands out to me about this story is Jenny took me in the farm truck and I jumped into the farm truck and there was a Bible on the bench seat. There were shell casings on the dashboard. <laughs> and there was a tin of dip also on the dashboard. And I thought, this is the epitome of a southern farm truck. Yes. But you needed a picture of that. I should have taken a picture yeah. of that. But she had such a great story. And it never occurred to me to pitch it to the New York Times. That mm-hmm. at this small Georgia farm, they're mm-hmm. in what, Bluffton. Bluffton, yeah. And she was telling me that when they started the farm and switched it to sort of an agritourism event destination, people called them <coughs> Pardon Pardon me. Me. people called them crazy because they said no one is ever gonna come to Bluffton, Georgia to visit this farm. Right. And now it's made Bluffton a destination. Yeah. And they're in the New York Times. Yeah. So my reaction was, Oh, I should have pitched that story. <laughs> just goes to show you need to follow your nose. You do. And just you never know you could have been in the New York Times. I could have been in the New York Times. <laughs> it's on my bucket list. Well I thought of you when I read that. Um all right, so if your favorite stories just have come from meeting these interesting characters, what is your most memorable interview? Do you have a funny interview story? I don't know I don't know that it's a funny story. I interviewed a nun who was a triathlete. Oh, that and already I'm hooked. Right? <laughs> so she was in her seventies. Okay. And she was known as the mother superior of the triathlon. And she had this great story, which is she she lives out um, on the West Coast, and she was at a church retreat on the coast, and the priest who was leading the retreat talked about running as a way to get closer to God. Hmm. 
And she had never run before. She was in her 30s at the time. She'd never run before. And so she took a pair of Keds from the donation box with the blessing of the priest. She wanted to, you know, borrow <laughs> them. And she went for a run. And she said, I ran a few miles. Oh, my gosh. In Keds, her first time out. <laughs> Which and I can't even... I'm just imagining. I can barely... This is sad. I can barely run up my street. Like, right? <laughs> that was my thought, too. She's like, just like, oh, oh I'm going to go for a few miles. And I'm thinking, okay. Right. I always thought I'd get the runner's high, and I never did. Yeah. So I'm intrigued. Okay. Well, she got the runner's high, okay. and she said she really did feel closer to God, that it was a very spiritual practice for her. And so she started running races, and then she started doing triathlons which that's a whole other that's a whole other leap other (laughs) leap and the funny thing was so one of the questions I always get asked and and that I had for her was do you run in a habit oh right and she said you know because nuns are very modest yeah and she said that she was part of an order that didn't wear habits okay um so she actually wears spandex to bike in or run in like she wears athletic clothes okay um but she decided to participate in the Ironman triathlon in Hawaii, which is like the big kahuna of triathlons. Yes. And she was so old at the time that she was participating that they had to create a new age category for her <laughs> two years in a row. They had because she was just she aged out. She was oh the oldest gosh. competitor. So she had all of these medals and trophies and ribbons and awards and all these accolades. Yeah. And the, she doesn't train. She, Which is unbelievable. She does. A part of her ministry work is at a local prison. And she said, I just run to the prison to do my ministry work. Or I ride my bike to the prison to do my ministry work. And that's enough training for me. <laughs> and she was just the greatest lady who had the sweetest spirit about her. But she right. also had this really quirky story yeah. that so stands out in my mind as... Um, a really memorable subject I got to speak to. And I keep meaning to look her up again to see what she, if she's still running yeah. or how she's doing, because this interview was probably, you know, eight years ago. Is it, do you know, is it online anywhere? What publication was it for? It was for a publication called Her Sports, which no longer exists. Okay. So I, it's not online anymore, okay. unfortunately. Oh, sad. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll have to look her up and put a link in the show notes because that sounds fascinating. Yes. Um, the question that already we have gotten, at least when we've been registering people for tonight's event, was, and it was funny that they were asking us as if we could somehow help them, um, was, well, do you think she's going to talk about how to publish? Um, and I think we've already addressed, you know, freelancing and what that looks like, but so many people, whether it's the writing group that meets here at the bookshelf or whether it's this whole new generation, I feel like, of bloggers mm-hmm. who want to publish a book, what are your tips or, is, you know, tips seems like such a light term, but what are your guidelines for kind of navigating the world of publishing? I had several of those questions too. People emailed me to ask Mm -hmm. about it. And I will say that as a writer, when I teach classes, my focus is truly on publishing. Mm -hmm. So I don't deal a lot with the craft of writing Mm -hmm. because I think the craft of writing and the business of writing or publishing are very different. Yes. And so I'm very focused on the business of publishing and how to take your words and sell them. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, there is this process that I get into and I'll talk about at the workshop tonight but you really have to understand what magazines are looking for mm-hmm. because often there's a difference between what you want to write and what a magazine wants to publish. Yes. 
And so it doesn't matter how great your story is Mm -hmm. if it's not the kind of thing the magazine is looking for. It's like going on a job interview and not knowing anything about the company you're interviewing for. And you can be the best candidate in the world for another job Mm -hmm. and not for that job. And, And that's what publishing is like. So it's really a matter of spending time studying really magazines mm-hmm. and websites and understanding the kinds of work that they publish and how your work fits in mm-hmm. and if it doesn't then you move on you right. know there there may be another magazine that is a better fit for what you do right so it's really about taking time to learn the process mm-hmm. and understand the needs of the magazine which is ultimately your client or employer and then tailoring what you do to meet their needs right yeah, that makes a lot of sense. The One of our, our manager that works here at the bookshelf, she loves to write. Um, and I think it's her goal to maybe um, one day maybe publish a YA novel or something mm-hmm. like that. And she's a great writer, so it wouldn't surprise me at all. But she told me today, she said, I've been trying to read a ton of great young adult literature because I feel like I'm doing my intel. Like right. <laughs> She's figuring out... You know, of course you have your own unique voice, but you're also trying to figure out where do I want to fit in this huge world of books and of publishing. Um, You are now, I saw on your website, and we'll put a link to all of this in the show notes, but you act as a consultant. I think you teach a few classes. Um, You're teaching a workshop like this one. Um, What can people expect from your services? I started... And I hate this term, but it's the best term, I think, for it. I started coaching a couple of years ago Mm -hmm. because I felt like there were a lack of opportunities for people to learn from someone who was actively in the business. Mm -hmm. And so I work with two kinds of people. I work with people who want to be published and have never been published Mm -hmm. and need some hand-holding to figure out how to make it happen. Mm -hmm. So maybe... They um, have some great story ideas, but they have no idea how to send them out there, or they need some feedback on their ideas before they send them out, Sure. some motivation and help goal setting and things like that. Mm -hmm. And then I work with people who are already freelancing, but are either not earning the income that they want to earn, so they want to bump up how much money they're making, Mm -hmm. or they have aspirations of writing for bigger publications. So maybe they're writing for a lot of really local publications, and that's great, but they are ready to take the next step, and they need some support in doing that. Sure. And there's not a lot of help, I don't think. Freelancing, sometimes as an entrepreneur, I feel all alone. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And then when I finally connect with another entrepreneur, or I went to my first book conference back in February, and all of a sudden I was full of a room of booksellers, and I realized, oh, other people are doing this, like, because you feel very alone, and I imagine while there are huge pluses for working at home in your pajamas, um, you also might feel a little isolated sometimes. It, it is a very isolating profession, and I think that, um, and, and writers tend to be um, a little introverted mm-hmm. and um, pretty comfortable alone, but we need a water cooler very badly, right. because I think that... We need to know who's paying writers and what they're paying writers right. and where the great markets are and what struggles other people are facing so that you don't feel like you're in it alone mm-hmm. and you need sort of a tribe who understands you're crazy, if you will, right. you know, Absolutely, like yeah. understands your particular breed of challenge and opportunity and, and help support that. And so I think classes are a great way to do that. Conferences are a great way to do that. Um, writers groups, I think all of those things are really, really helpful so that you don't feel like you're in it alone. Right. You need to know that other people are getting rejected or that other people right. are staring at a blank screen. That 
kind of community is really important. Right, and I would think too, it's just nice to get some feedback, whether positive or negative, on what you're writing um, before you send it off to somebody who will be an even harsher critic, potentially. It's true, and I always tell people not to get feedback from someone who loves them, <laughs> yeah. because my mom thinks everything that I write is just incredible, Right, and that's her job as my mom. I was about to say, which is good. The, right. <laughs> good mom. Good mom. <laughs> Bad editor. Right. You know, yeah. So you need some external feedback from people who will be honest with you. Right. Yeah. Um, okay, so I read there was an article in our little local newspaper, the Thomasville Townie, um, an interview with you kind of prepping and getting ready for this workshop. And I read that you said the best writers are often readers. And you're not the first person to say that. I feel like that's pretty common mm-hmm. writing advice. Yeah. Um, why do you think that is? Well, for for a couple of reasons. First, as I said earlier, you need to know what magazines are publishing if you want to publish in them. So Mm -hmm. you have to understand what kinds of story ideas they're looking for, Mm -hmm. what their voice is, because your job is to write in their voice, to be a voice for their brand. And so I think knowing that is really important. I think we come up with story ideas from... Reading, yes, so absolutely. The Running Nun, as I call her, um, I came up with that idea because I saw a really short story in another really small publication, and I thought this lady deserves to be recognized in a bigger national publication for this amazing accomplishment, mm-hmm. a series of accomplishments. And so that was a story idea that came out of reading. Yeah. But I also think we can learn a lot about. We didn't all go to journalism school. We didn't all go to creative writing school. Right. Um, and I think you can learn a lot about structure yes. and organization and voice and tone by reading other writers that you admire. Mm-hmm. So I think it's really important to read. And when I first started out, I would feel really lazy when I would spend part of my work day mm-hmm. reading magazines. Mm-hmm. And now I've come to understand that that's just a really important piece of what I do. So yeah. That's so funny. I So I have loved to read my whole life. Um, and I think the assumption, I actually had a customer come in the other day, sweet as can be, but she said, oh, I just would love your job. I bet all you do is just sit around and read all day. And I thought, oh, I wish that that were true. Right. Um, but it's not. And not only that, but coming from a normal quote-unquote job eight to five you didn't read on the job there and so sometimes I do read um either at home or here at the store if there's a slow moment and there is this weird I don't know what it is religious guilt I'm not sure but that comes up in me that I think oh maybe I should be doing something else and frequently I have to remind myself or um my husband Jordan will remind me no Annie like this is research this is this is for your job um even if it's fun yeah it's still for your job and so um I would imagine in writing the the feeling is similar it's very similar and I think when I teach and I'm um, or coach and I'm working with people who have this idea and they're not sure where to send it and I can say oh I think eight you know this magazine would be great or that magazine would be great and they would say how do you know this Mm -hmm. well I mean, it's my business right. to know it, yeah. right? It's it's part of my job right. to know those kinds of things. And so I, I've learned to let go of some of that guilt, although mm-hmm. on a very lovely sunny afternoon when I'm sitting outside <laughs> um, in the yard and I'm reading, yeah. it does certainly feel like I am slacking <laughs> right. off and not researching. But right. I, I've really learned to 
give myself permission to do that because right. it is something that's so important to making a living as a writer. Absolutely. You've got to be familiar with the voice, I think. That's a huge aspect of it. Absolutely. So along those lines, the question I try to ask everybody is, what are you reading right now? I am reading a giant stack of magazines. Okay. I probably have 20 magazine subscriptions that come every month Wow, to my so house. you still get... this is That's interesting to me. So I, of course, as a bookseller, I love the paper. I prefer hand, you know, handheld books. Mm-hmm. I cannot fathom who would want a magazine subscription on their computer. I don't. <laughs> I don't understand. Not me. Um, because I want, you know, I want to take the magazine to the beach. Yes. I, don't want to take, I don't want to take my computer down to the beach. Right. Um, so you still get good old-fashioned magazines in the mail. I get good old-fashioned magazines in the mail. I'm sure the postal person hates me for all the weight that I add right. every month. But, but what I, fun mailbox visits I do you. get fun <laughs> mailbox visits. And I read everything from... Um, Modern Farmer and Ink to Shape and Oprah. My reading tastes for magazines are all over the board. Um, I am reading two books right now. One is called Farmageddon, which is The True Cost of Cheap Meat. She came to um, Tallahassee to do a book signing a couple years ago. Yeah. So that book is really great. Okay. And I'm learning a lot. It's thick, Mm -hmm. very thick. So I'm making my way through it slowly. And then I'm reading another book, um, a memoir called She's Not There by okay. Jennifer Finney Boylan. Oh, okay. And she is a New York Times bestseller. Yeah. It's about her transition from male to female. Okay. And she writes about um, what that was like for her, her, for her, obviously, but for her family as well. And she is the keynote speaker at a conference I'm co-chairing in New York in April called the American Society of Journalists and Authors Conference. Oh, interesting. So I have dug into that, and yeah. it's really great reading in preparation for meeting her I think April. we do have that one. I think that's why that sounds familiar to me. I think I have either read about her, her or I think that book is on our shelves right now. It's a great book. Okay, good to know. Um We'll have fun. what a fun conference. I'm sorry, as a journalism major, I'm like, oh, that sounds fun. <laughs> that sounds fascinating. It's going to be such a good conference. Oh, good. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, that sounds fascinating. You have been a wonderful interview as usual. We are looking forward to this evening, um, and we will post any additional tips we find out tonight um, on our show notes. Um, as usual, you can follow the bookshelf at Bookshelf Tville, both on Instagram and on Twitter. Um, you can find us on Facebook under Bookshelf Thomasville, and for our show notes and this episode you can follow us on itunes or at our website www.bookshelfthomasville.com thanks jody thanks annie